This is L'Inconnu Conversations. I'm your host, Lila Gresh, director and founder of L'Inconnu Art Gallery Montreal. Today on the podcast, we have artist Emily Ludwig Schaefer. Emily Ludwig Schaefer's work presents psychological, surreal interior and exterior spaces with objects devoid of the image or figure, but reveal a void of presence. Her mixture of representation and abstraction in space and form create these illusionistic scenes. Emily lives and works in Brooklyn and received her MFA from Columbia University. Recent solo shows include Stone Tapestry, Packed Paris, and upcoming solo show at Institute 193, Lexington, Kentucky. Recent group shows include No Place at Lincoln, The Sun is Gone But We Have the Light, at Uncle Brother in Hancock, New York, Seafood Stew Y2K Group, New York, Without God or Governance created by JAG Projects, and Protein Vessels at Ellis King in Dublin. We discuss Emily's work in No Place, a group exhibition at L'Inconnu. Other artists included in the exhibition are Alison Yip and Quintessa Matranga. We discuss Emily's upbringing from her southern roots to how she's been painting since childhood, and the influences of her architect mother. We discuss feminist Marxist Silvia Federici's work from the origin of the word gossip and the influence of other female painters such as Mira Dancy, who Emily works for once a week. We discuss Emily's personal symbolism, the redefining of the female figure in art, her technique, and what spirituality means to Emily. Welcome, Emily, <laughs> to Lincoln's Conversation podcast. Could you give us a bit of background on your work and what brought you to become an artist? Sure. I was born in San Francisco, but mostly raised in the Midwest. And my mom was an architect, and I also have an aunt and an uncle who are artists. So I always had their work up and my mother's watercolors from architecture school art was always around and I'm sure my parents put a pen in my hand when I was, you know, could barely move my hand to see what I did. So I have these drawings from as early as like one year old. So I've always been interested in art and always loved art. But then I went to RISD for undergrad because I think in high school I was like, oh yeah, I'll actually pursue this. And so I went to RISD for undergrad, studied painting there moved to New York immediately after and then had a studio that was making work kind of privately for a number of years trying to work through a lot of ideas and then I went to grad school and graduated in 2017 from Columbia. That was a pretty pretty good time. I worked with a number of professors that really pushed me in ways that I hadn't been pushed before such as John Kessler, Elisa Nissenbaum, Nicola Lopez and Lisa Maxson, among others, but those are the ones that are immediately coming to mind. Also, the community, too, really pushed me as well. I've made a lot of really good friends in the program. I graduated a couple years ago, and now I'm painting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Still. And how does female identity play into your work? Because you use the element of water a lot that's associated with the feminine and your figures as well, although they're genderless, they 
give some formation to it being a female body. Yeah. And in particular in the exhibition, Bird Bath Bow, that it's this kind of contemporary take on the bather. Instead of her being the kind of object of voyeur, she's the vessel, you know, the container. Yeah. Um, and in a way, a kind of maternal figure. Yeah. Well, I think fem- female identity and feminism comes into my work in a lot of different ways. For the figures specifically, I only recently started painting figures again for the first time since maybe I was an undergrad. I think in undergrad, I, I got really bogged down by conversations around the history of figuration, in particular the female figure and representation in art, and being really dissatisfied or becoming a bit jaded about the representation of women in painting. So I decided to, after undergrad, make a lot more abstract work and not use the figure and maybe use stand-ins for the figure like plants or physical spaces that imply a body could be there but not actually having the body. But a couple things turned around for me in the past two years, one of which was, well, the first figurative work I made was a response to a lecture that I saw by Silvia Federici, who's a Marxist feminist writer. And I saw her lecture, and normally I'm not a patient person, and I would just, I don't know, I get antsy very Mm -hmm. easily. I mean, I get antsy in movies, I just have trouble sitting for a Mm -hmm. while. But she spoke for three hours and I was like on the edge of my seat and didn't want her to leave at the end of it. And she's just brilliant. I highly recommend reading her writing. But after that, I read her book, Caliban and the Witch, which is a history of witch hunts and persecution of women throughout history and focusing on sort of how women are marginalized from the past to the present through capitalism But as sort of like a footnote to her lecture, she mentioned a series of writings that she was doing around the term gossip, which is something that she came across in her research Mm -hmm. that really influenced me. And it was that the word gossip initially meant, I don't know exactly when it came about, but hundreds of years ago, Mm -hmm. it was used as a term to just mean female friends, like my girl, Mm -hmm. it's my gossip. Mm -hmm. But then through instilling distrust in female relationships, word of mouth and oral histories, through various forms of patriarchy, the term uh, became one that we now instill distrust, this mm-hmm. idea of like distrusting the information that women spread from one to, predominantly women spread from one to the other. And she is now working on a series of essays that are an attempt to reclaim the term gossip to mean, again, female friend. And so I made this work, this painting on paper with figures. It was the first painting I had done of eight years and it was a monument proposal that I wanted to make called the gossips and it was a monument to female friendship and so it shows these women or these like kind of abstracted female figures all sitting in a line with their legs interwoven and I think it was just very powerful to paint figures again for the first time in a really long time and have it be under new pretenses and having a more feminist meaning. And the other side of it too is that I started working for Mira Dancy part-time as a studio assistant after I graduated. All of her work is very much about the female figure and about reclaiming that as well in Mm -hmm. art. And she paints a lot of goddesses Mm -hmm. and warrior women. um, And I find her work powerful. So Mm -hmm. I like that idea of slowly bringing the female figure back into my work. But instead of as like the object for admiration, there's either a monument to them or exactly as you describe in Birdbath Bow, 
the idea of the woman not being a vessel herself, mm-hmm. but being a vessel instead for something else mm-hmm. and for nature or for mm-hmm. birds specifically. And it kind of being in this like corner of a garden, maybe it's hidden. It's not necessarily even for us. It's for the animals that inhabit a garden. And going back to the idea of gossip, so is that maybe why you give these female characters some anonymity like yeah. in terms of, you know, their tone and their appearance? Like there's no specific detailing in their face or... Yeah, exactly. And I didn't want it to be only a specific woman mm-hmm. who or kind of woman that is allowed to be that figure. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be encompass more broadly the idea of women and mm-hmm. also... You know, I made that painting also around the time of the Me Too when all that those accusations started coming to light. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of women, including myself, had a hard time, you know, well, in a good way, mm-hmm. like found a lot of strength through. And there's also a lot of gossip through that. Exactly. Well. Yeah. And, and I was thinking a lot about how we've had to protect ourselves from a lot of this predatory behavior mm-hmm. through word of mouth about people who act certain ways. And, mm-hmm. and it just got me thinking more generally about how not just women, but all marginalized groups also, often the way that they are able to spread their knowledge and protect each other and build strength is through unwritten, underground, and sometimes even anonymous forms of communication. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like anonymous reporting mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. information. Yeah, for protection. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You mentioned in that description some symbolism within your work. So we have the female figure as one. And then you were also talking about using plants as a kind of replacement for a figure. And, you know, the nocturnal scenes or the night sky, the woven grid is a kind of divider. So could you go a bit more into those? Yeah, sure. The symbols, they often come from very specific feelings or desires for a secular image that I can attach myself to because I'm not religious. So Mm -hmm. I think that it's about finding my own power through various symbols. So one of the earliest ones that I still use often is the woven grid. Mm -hmm. And for me, that came about at a time that I was making a lot of abstract work that was highly geometric and being really drawn to and attracted to a lot of ideas from minimalism and modernism, but then also feeling like, how can I bring in a space that feels more personal, that isn't as traditionally masculinized? Mm -hmm. And to me, the woven grid was sort of this intersection between more like stereotyped ideas of rationality and acknowledging that side of my work, you know, the hard edge, sort Mm -hmm. of rigid side of some of my works with something that is simultaneously a little off kilter and more materiality points back to two traditions that might be more traditionally associated with women, such as basket weaving or just textile arts in general. Mm-hmm. So that's one work that kind of reverberates through, or one image that reverberates through a lot of my work. And then the plant is, you know, these these images in one piece could mean one thing and then another piece can mean something else. Mm-hmm. Like the plant, for instance, is one of those things that has many meanings for me. But I think for me, it comes from this desire to think about and kind of meditate on the various ways that we try to control nature. Mm-hmm. And also the plant being something that's domesticated, mm-hmm. taking something from nature and then bringing it into the home. 
and certain interests or insecurities that I might have in nurturing or mm-hmm. falling short. Um, so bringing it back to the maternal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how about this use of the night sky? Mm-hmm. The night sky to me is sort of this sublime space that has come up in a few works. I mean, for one thing, nighttime, it definitely evokes all the associations with nighttime for me of darkness and loneliness and quietude. And also the idea of having a night sky encapsulated within another environment that's maybe antiseptic or that is, how do you, it's like packaging up the night. Like how do you package up something so majestic and wonderful and, Mm -hmm. and beautiful and contemplative and, the idea of turning it into this encapsulated thing that exists, that's like frozen in time, mm-hmm. a space where it's always night, where you can always go to no matter mm-hmm. what's happening around it. Mm-hmm. And the piece that's in the show now, mm-hmm. No Play is at Linconu, the one that's called Bayleaf Rap Night. Mm-hmm. That came to me around Christmas time when I was looking for gifts for people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that kind of box like yeah. shape, which also relates to Quintessa's yeah. presence in a way. Exactly. Like just, yeah. No, I thought that was kind of uncanny. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's like this box that the bay leaves are wrapped around. It's like um, a reef. Yeah, like yeah. A, a reef. Or also, I the image of the bay leaves came to me from this candle that I found online. Mm-hmm. I know like candles are like the most cliche gifts mm-hmm. you can get people, mm-hmm. but I love them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like scented and homeopathic candles. Mm-hmm. So I was looking for one of those for my cousin and I found this candle that had been wrapped decoratively in bay leaves or oh, wow. maybe it was basil leaves, something, some yeah. type of leaf. But I like the idea of reinterpreting that and turning mm-hmm. it into, instead of a candle, it being something as majestic as the night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's interesting because another topic that I wanted to bring up today was that I found that your work carried a lot of lightness in it, mm-hmm. and whereas a lot of the other works in the show do have these kind of nocturnal scenes of sleep or, you know, just in terms of their palette. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of linger more in the levels of the subconscious. Yeah. But now that you're telling me this, then I do see how it has the darkness within it as well so I feel like that's a really interesting yeah definitely um, balance and also your work has a lot more dimensionality within it and depth Mm -hmm. whereas the other works in the show are very flat so it's this kind of nice tension Mm -hmm. so could you formally speaking could you describe your art making process because you have for lack of a better term this invisible hand where we just cannot see any trace of you within your work. So could you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've always been a geometric drawer. I remember as a kid, I would watch my brother sketch and he would make little marks on the paper and it made everything look hairy. Mm. And I thought that was so weird that he drew like that (laughs) because I would put my pen down and then just draw like a line. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I would erase. It wasn't like a purist thing, but it was always very hard edged about Mm -hmm. the way I drew. And my mom was an architect as well. So the language of drafting tables and May lines Mm -hmm. and using geometric forms to create space, whether it's an isometric or in perspective. So... In a way, I'm not in it. Like, you mm-hmm. can't see my hand mm-hmm. in the traditional idea of painting, the, the painter's hand in mm-hmm. the painting. Mm-hmm. But to me, it, it is as expressive because mm-hmm. that is just, that's how I 
paint. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. It, sometimes I do paint more loosely. It's not always like that. Like I do just to make things more interesting for myself. Mm -hmm. I do think it is nice to paint a little brushy sometimes. But the process is often I have, go through these weeks, like maybe a couple weeks where I'll just be sketching in my sketchbook and coming up with ideas and writing and reading and really existing in this creative space that is not physically productive. Mm -hmm. It's more just about stewing and thoughts mm -hmm. and reading others' thoughts as well. And then the images that come out of those sessions that stick with me, I will then try to turn into better compositions and I will play with color sometimes directly in the sketchbook, and then sometimes I'll do Photoshop sketches with color swatches to sort of sketch out how things will look. And then I project onto the canvas the skeleton of the image so I can be sure to get some things right. Like if I want to paint the staircase, for instance, in the isometric, I don't want to wing that because it could ruin that effect mm -hmm. of spatial flatness. Mm -hmm. I'll do that, and then I'll paint the first flat painting uh, or flat layer mm -hmm. of paint and trying to work out the colors again sometimes working from sketches sometimes winging it and then the next layer of paint I paint over the whole surface is refining that further the colors to make sure that they work in the way that I want them to and create the right mood and that the light feels right to me and then Sometimes it's done, but often there's a third layer where I have to go back and work even further into the colors and the shapes a bit. I don't know how, it's not a very romantic process. <laughs> I was very formulaic. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty formulaic. I think that the sketchbook experience is a very sort of free associative mm -hmm. period, and then it goes through subsequent periods of refining and developing but I do make paintings on paper sometimes, and for me, that's a way to let it be a little bit looser. I mean, it's funny, for most people, that's not loose, but <laughs> for me, it's loose. And yeah. sometimes I'll just start with images or symbols or motifs in paintings on paper and see how they look, and then further refine them into larger compositions. And how long does this process normally take? Well, sometimes... I will get an idea for something and sketch it in my sketchbook and then reject it and then come back to it a year later, just flipping through my sketchbook and being mm -hmm. like, oh, I could actually really use that in this composition or I actually find this more enigmatic than I initially thought. So it varies, but I think that the actual period of time it takes for me to paint a painting is, I would say, on average about two weeks. Okay. The bigger works sometimes take a month, the smaller works sometimes take a week. Yeah, that's quite impressive. <laughs> and going back to this idea of light, because you have many different transitionary times. There are moments that are not permanent, like the night, or like the sunset and birdbath bow, yeah. or even the use of indoor lighting, which you have in patches, which is part of No Place at yeah. the gallery. So if you could talk about the tensions that you build with that, and maybe would you say that this transitionary period could relate to your creative process or this time or this point in your career? Yeah, I think so. I guess I haven't really thought about it in those terms, but I could see that. 
I think about the time of day a lot in my works, and sometimes it's daytime, but often it is those sort of transitionary periods, or it is nighttime frozen within another day. Mm-hmm. And I guess I think about them more so because my work is so rigid in certain ways and hard-edged. I like the idea of the time being less specific. Mm-hmm. So it could be, for instance, dawn or dusk could be the same time, or the idea of having night within a day. To me, even though these paintings feel very frozen in time, it loosens up the specificity of when that time is. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, there's some ambiguity there that I like to play with. Mm-hmm. In terms of how it relates to my career, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I could get a bit Freudian about it. Yeah, because it's been about two years now since you graduated from your MFA. And yeah. You've been having, I mean, a lot of shows, a lot of obvious interests in your work. So it's kind of like this dark before the dawn right now. It yeah. Seems. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I'm. I'm curious. I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. I really hadn't hadn't thought about that. I, I do feel like I am in a transitionary period, but I also feel like for the first time in my life, I've landed within spaces that feel more closely connected to not only my intellectual pursuits but my spiritual. So it does feel like a transition period for me, but mm-hmm. I've been painting my whole life, and I'm sure that this work will change like everything mm-hmm. else has mm-hmm. at times. <laughs> <laughs> also, where Birdbath Bow is placed within the gallery, it's funny because across the street there's a Kia dealership, <laughs> and every day we see the sunset reflected on it. So it's this <laughs> kitschy, nostalgic end-of-the-day marking and just the parallel between the work so and that sunset. It's like... Oh, you'll have to see your photo. Yeah, <laughs> I will. Yeah, I mean, there is something kitschy about daylight and dusk. Yeah. And, or, sorry. Well, um, just everyone photographing it. Or, yeah. Yeah. Dawn and dusk. And, and I, I kind of embrace that, too, yeah. that side of it as well. Yeah. During the dusk sky, you know, when you walk outside and it's just gorgeous and there's Mm -hmm. so many colors, Mm -hmm. it's also just a really viscerally pleasurable experience. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, on a particularly picturesque night or dusk, you will open up your Instagram and everyone's posting the same sky. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like screenshotting them so I can like reference them for painting. Oh, that's great. (laughs) I should send you some of mine. Yeah, please. And also, just going back to the symbolism of the grid, I was thinking about Mondrian's Broadway Boogie Woogie, you know, um, how it's, well, the title of the painting is Boogie Woogie, but it's set off of the Manhattan grid and the jazz scene that was happening at the time. So, in a way, he is using the grid to encapsulate space or place, going to the title of the show. Would you say that that could also be an added layer to the symbolism of the grid? Yeah, I mean, I think the grid, well, not just the grid, but the framing that happens a lot in my work, Mm -hmm. whether it's like through a doorway or a window Mm -hmm. or a hedge, like a topiary hedge, Mm -hmm. there's often a lot of framing devices that Mm -hmm. happen in my work Mm -hmm. and the grid comes in, in and out of that sometimes. Like there was a work that I showed at Uncle Brother Upstate this past summer that Mm -hmm. was called Night Fantasy and it was the woven grid in the foreground and behind it was this bedroom kind of nighttime scene 
And then there was a break in the grid or the woven pattern where there was a moon through, through that landscape. So I think that framing is definitely something it's like the window through which we see things and engage things like the idea of subjectivity and perspective perspective exactly so i could see that and that brings me to one of my final questions uh, what's next so right now i'm making paintings for a solo show at institute 193 in kentucky and it's a nonprofit space that does shows with emerging and established artists with roots in the South. Mm-hmm. And my whole family's from the South. Well, my mom's family was just passing through there, mm-hmm. but my dad's family's like eight generations deep in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So I guess I count, <laughs> even though I've never really lived there. But my dad lives in Lexington now, and the director, Paul Brown, invited me to do a show there. So I'm working on that, and I'm gonna send probably about five paintings but I'm also collaborating or working with this architect who teaches at the University of Kentucky mm-hmm. named Jason Scroggin to create a, a little bit of a kind of modular seating space. This time I didn't want it to be just open. I wanted there to be like this little nook where people could sit. And at first I was going to design it myself, but then I thought it would be a fun experience to bring somebody else's practice into the space. And at first I was going to work with the students at the University of Kentucky, but I was kind of late to send my deadline. I passed the deadline, so Jason's doing it now with me. And uh, he's also creating planters within the seats oh, uh, that plants can be put into. And mm-hmm. one of my dad's best friends and a family that I've known my whole life, the Mickler family, mm-hmm. are fifth-generation florists and botanists. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they're in Lexington, and I'm going to invite them to curate the plants that go into the space. I hate beautiful. So I'm really excited to have a couple other arts within that space mm-hmm. alongside my paintings. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited about that. And then I'm sending a couple works to Art Brussels with Gallery Packed. A couple things later in 2019, but things can always fall through. So. Yeah, so this is the cutoff right Yeah. Now. Yeah, okay, great. And... In the first episode, I asked this question, so I'm going to continue it through. Which artist, living or dead, would you like to be in an exhibition with? Oh my gosh, there's so many. (laughs) Helma Offlin? Yes. (laughs) Done. Yeah, I think Helma Offlin is obviously on the forefront of everyone's mind Mm -hmm. right now, so Mm -hmm. that came to mind immediately. Also, her book is sitting right Mm -hmm. there. (laughs) But I think another person I would love to show with is Françoise Grossen, who's a textiles artist from uh, Switzerland. But mm-hmm. she's based in New York or L.A. now, I don't know. But she's a bit older than me, and her works are beautiful and really powerful, and they're pretty monumental in scales. I mean, she makes them smaller works, but I think it'd be really awesome to show with her. Thank you, Emily, for joining us today on Lincoln New Conversations.